Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hi, everybody. This is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, and sometimes meteorologists, to deliver a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, their methods, best practices, and personal stories from the trenches of journalism. I am Bo Berman. Today, we have Eddie Garcia from KOB TV in New Mexico. Eddie, thanks for joining. Hey, Bo. Good to hear from you. Uh, Thanks for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Glad to have you here. So um, one of the most fascinating things, I think, about your career for people who, who don't know is that you began in 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 the control room right of a tv station or something like that yeah yeah um i would say it's an unconventional path um with the conventional path being you know four-year high uh, four-year degree um and then uh and then finally getting your job on air as a reporter or meteorologist or whatever it is you're going to do on air um, yeah, I started uh, when I was 16, uh, so it was uh, my, my, my first high school job was working in TV uh, behind the scenes. At 16 years old, yeah, in Texas it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, <clears throat> actually kind of fell into it uh, because of uh, the church that me and my parents were going to at the time was uh, loosely affiliated with this religious TV station in Odessa, Midland, Texas. Odessa is where I grew up. Midland's about 20 miles away, so it's kind of the same area. As you know, you live there. Um, And so um, one of the hosts at this religious TV station knew that I had an interest in in theater because I did uh, did, uh, church plays with our acting group there and also knew that I had an interest in uh, photography. Uh, because, well, surely he saw me with my uh, camcorder, you know, in the mid-90s, running around and trying to film everything. So he uh, he came to me and, and asked if I was looking for a summer job, which I was, uh, as a studio camera operator at this TV station. And so, um, you know, it's the summer. I'm 16 years old. Uh, I have my first car. And my parents, uh, their deal was that they would help me get my first car if I got a job and paid for all the expenses that go with owning a car. So, um, you know, I needed tires at the time. Uh, studio camera seemed similar to what I wanted to do. So uh, I said, okay. And little did I know that started my uh, career uh, 22 years ago. Wow. All because of tires, yeah. really. Yeah, man, like, you know. I was just trying to get some tires. Well, I had a Mustang, you see, and uh, uh, I had to uh, make sure that it could perform. All all four cylinders could perform, you know? <laughs> um, okay, so you you were the studio camera operator, and then just in, in like, 60 seconds or less, just walk me through, like, the the ladder that you, you know, the path that you took. So the next role, what, you worked your way up to what? Oh, a little bit of everything, you know, um, this was all throughout high school, so it was all part-time, but, um, I became floor manager, graphics, did audio, uh, then I became the director and production manager, 
at the age of 19. Hmm. Um, I, um, me and some friends decided to do uh, community college two years after high school. I graduated in 99. So, um, uh, yeah, pretty much did that until, um, decided that I wanted to move to Austin with some buddies. Um, you know, one of my friends, uh, he was going to UT for radio, television, and film. And I, in my, uh, perception of that time thought, well, I already am in television, so I might as well just go and see if I can find a job in Austin, Texas. And that's whenever I jumped to uh, my first uh, news station was KEYE-TV in Austin, Texas. Um, and I did uh, behind-the-scenes work there, but that's when everything kind of kind of started to change. That's when the course began to change in my career. So, so the for, first, you know, the, the, sorry, the first, jo- the studio camera job, that was through your, the church TV station. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an independent TV station, but yeah, it was, it was a religious TV station. Okay. Um, so, but it wasn't so, I mean, but it like, it was broadcast all over the area. Like it wasn't like a cable access type of thing. Yeah. We broadcast mainly to West Texas and Eastern New Mexico. Um, at the time, I believe as I was leaving, they were working some satellite deals, but, uh, in general, it was, you know, a regional TV station. Yeah. Um, then you go to to K K I K E Y E in in Austin, Texas. You're in the big, the bigger city now. Um, and what was your, what was your role there? Well, you know, I was just trying to get my foot in the door. You know, um, I never worked in um, anything like TV news. As you would imagine, working at a religious TV station is quite different than working in um, in the news industry. And so um, I actually uh, remember before, <clears throat> before we were looking to move to Austin, I remember looking up in the phone book um, while I was still living in Odessa, the phone number for our local CBS affiliate, which in Odessa is KOSA TV. And as this 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid, I'm calling the front desk and I'm like, good evening. (laughs) I wonder if you could be good enough to tell me the name of the CBS TV station in Austin, Texas, so that I may call and apply for a job. And, um, and you know, this was like, man, this makes me sound old. Like this was like before, Google, I guess, um, because I had to look up the number of the phone book. And so anyway, they gave me the name of the production manager and I called and explained my situation. And um, the man was good enough to meet me and uh, told me that they weren't hiring at the time, but uh, wanted to keep me on file. So uh, the deal was with my parents and um, I moved with two other friends to Austin was that they'd help us move if we got jobs. So we went to this grocery store called uh, Central Market in Austin, which is uh, H-E-B, and we all got jobs working there. And uh, about a month in, I got a call from the production manager at KEY-TV. He's like, hey, um, so I've sort of like created a position for you. Um, are you still interested? So I said, yeah. Um, it was basically, it was basically studio floor, but I was sort of like assistant <laughs> floor manager, um, which such thing doesn't exist as you know. Um, and, uh, that's how I got my foot in the door, but it was my first time ever really 
working in a news environment, which was um, a culture shock to say the least. Yeah. So, and you were pretty, I mean, you were still very young. You were like, what, 19 or 20? 20, yeah. What, and I mean, I guess this will basically reveal your age, your age for the math majors in, in the room, but what, what year would that have been? Um, so I'm 38, and that was, um, so the way that I remember it is um, I had to start on the morning show, and that was September 2001. So I started on the morning show, um, I would say sometime the first few days of September 2001, and um, they decided just a week later that they wanted to transfer me to the evening shift to work on, on the evening shows um, doing studio camera. And so I was to report to duty. My first shift was uh, on a Tuesday, um, September 11th. Sorry, you, you said your your first day was September 11th. My first day transferring to the evening because I had started morning. My first day transferring to the evening was on September 11th, 2001. Wow! And what was what was that day like for you? <sighs> Unreal. Um, everyone knows where they were who was alive or at least conscious of the world at the time. And I remember very vividly, um, me and my roommate, we had just moved into our apartment. You know, this, I'd only been living away from home for like two or three weeks. I'd never lived away before. And so uh, Mario, um, my roommate, he was, I was trying to sleep. You know, finally I was able to sleep in, right? Because I'd been working the morning shift and, you know, those hours are very early. So I was relishing my sleep. And he comes like banging on my door and he's like, Hey, something's happened in New York and something's happening in, in Washington, DC. Uh, some planes crashed. And, um, I wasn't certain, uh, what he was talking about. So, you know, wake up, sort of walk to the living room and, um, you know, the TV's already on. And the, the first thing I remember seeing is that one, um, the, the first tower, uh, which was on fire at the time. Well, I was watching only for a short time and that's when the second tower was hit. And I, you know, it was, it was un, unbelievable. So even then having not worked in the newsroom, having not being in news in general ever, I called my boss and I'm like, Hey, uh, I assume this changes things. And he's like, yeah, just try to get in when you can. Mm. Wow. So I remember, you know, just trying to get ready in, in breaking news mode, but not necessarily working in a newsroom yet. But I remember, I remember it's the first time I felt this. Um, um, I guess now we call it the rush, you know, whenever breaking news is happening, you're a reporter, right? Mm -hmm. that, that sort of internal, switch of like I got to get over there I have to go and go to work and and and, and just switch in, into gear so that's the first time I remember having that sensation you know as I'm walking out the door <clears throat> um I pause and and one of the buildings is collapsing um live on television 
Yeah. And I, I remember even at 20 being just like, uh, it is, the world has changed. Right. Um, and that was the mindset that I was driving into my, basically one of my first days in news was just having had that uh, image of a collapsing World Trade Center in my mind driving to work. Wow. Yeah. And that, that rush, you know, you would go on to experience that many more times, but I mean, it must've been, must've been wild to be in a newsroom, you know, or near a newsroom or working in a newsroom when, when on that horrible day. Um, Oh yeah. Let me tell you, I mean, um, I I worked at the the CBS affiliate, right? Excuse me. Um, so as, as I was walking in the newsroom, we have, you know, televisions all over the place. Everyone has them at their desk and every single one is turned up and there's Dan Rather's voice just echoing throughout the building in this surreal sort of way. And I remember our newsroom being eerily quiet. Um, I, I, I do remember that there were people there and that they were like intensely working and a lot of them were on the phone because Austin, you know, the capital of Texas, um, we were starting to get uh, reports of, of, of threats to federal buildings and state buildings. So we were dealing with that, but the network was the, was the was carrying the show. Mm-hmm. And I remember they told us um, that we needed to be on standby in the studio should we need to break in for anything local that was breaking, you know, whether any of the threats were to be uh, taken seriously for the Texas state capital or anything like that, we would have to be ready to go on. Um, and, uh, as the day went on, the newsroom got louder and louder. And then I remember it, then it became this, not having worked in news before this image that I sort of had of this like bustling, loud, active, uh, chaotic, uh, newsroom. And it was just, it was very eye opening. Yeah. Very eye opening to say the least. Wow. Yeah. I was in high school at that point, but you know, obviously, I mean, that's a whole different experience and everyone has their memories and obviously it's, it's even crazier for people, you know, of course, who were in New York and the many that lost their lives and those family members who will just forever, forever be changed by that. And, you know, it's funny because I mean, I think for kids, well, nothing's funny, but I mean, it's interesting that, I think for kids now who weren't alive when it happened, you know, there's been so many other things since then that have happened in the way we cover news and, and Twitter and things like that, that it probably mm-hmm. like to them, they're probably like, you know, in some sense, like what was the big deal? You know, Oh, I mean, I know it was bad, but you know, it's probably hard for them to, to realize the gravity of that situation at the time. Um, and what mm-hmm. that was like, just like how you, know, you said the world changed and just how different that was than, than everything else that had happened. I mean, obviously there'd been another attack on world trade, you know, in the, I think it was the nineties, but, um, mm-hmm. that one wasn't as big. And I mean, you know, there'd been the Oklahoma city bombing, but that was, you know, that had been many years earlier and was kind of in a city that didn't resonate with people as much, you know, uh, nationally right. or globally. And yeah, I mean, it just, it was, it's just something that I think kids born, now, you know, kids who are 10 years old or even 15 now, you know, don't quite grasp. And it's not their fault, but I just think that's just kind of the way it probably is for many of them. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you were old enough that you remembered the world before September 11th. 
Um, and as you mentioned, there, there were those incidents. But I, I mean, I remember, you know, the first, uh, the bombing of, I think it was like the basement of the World Trade Center. And, and I was a child back then. And me thinking, oh, you know, this is bad. Um, but not really understanding, because, you know, I was a kid grasping the, the gravity of the situation but like you're you're absolutely right um anyone born after september 11th uh effectively grew up in a different world than we did um right. and just by virtue of the fact of the number of things that have happened since september 11th you know um international conflict um and all the things that have developed as far as uh the way we view government and and all, and all those things um it, it, I'll tell you, it really was, it was not lost in the, at that age that I was witnessing, you know, history, obviously. Right. I mean, I, I had a cell phone back then and I remember, you know, just kind of glancing at it as I was walking in the parking lot and into uh, KI TV and just looking down at the date, you know, consciously looking down at the date saying, okay, what, what is today? And thinking to myself, yeah, this, so this is going to be one of the ones that, you know, people are going to remember this. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's maybe it's probably the most iconic, you know, day in history. I mean, in, in modern history by, by the date, like no one, I'm trying to think, I mean, basically, you know, July 4th is known as, you know, July 4th, but sure. like, like yeah. 9-11, those numbers just have such a, a deep meaning and connotation to them. I can't, I can't even think of another, I mean, maybe December 25th, but like, uh, just just like that's said by the date you know no one even says like 1225 yeah. really. i mean it's uh it's crazy but yeah i no. mean so what a wild time for you to be you know 19 20 years old in your first newsroom uh just you know a week or, or a few weeks into the job i mean what a what a time to start but you know you didn't run yeah. run the other way you you actually leaned into that career so so what happened next uh, what was the next jump up you're now in the ki uh, studio as like an assistant, uh, studio camera operator, right? Yeah, it's pretty much camera op. Yeah. Uh, well I, uh, stayed in production, um, with aspirations to, uh, you know, take the similar path that I had at my previous job, which was work my way up from the studio floor to audio, to graphics, to eventually directing. And, um, you know, for, for those who may not be in the industry, the director is the person in the control room who, uh, uh, well, at the time, physically um, punches up the video and the stories and the, and the camera and, and helps us assemble the newscast. So that was sort of the gig for me. That's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but, um, it, and, and I tried. I did. I did. I tried many things, actually. But I started feeling... Um, that there was not, I was not being fulfilled in my career. I, I would come in, I would do the work, and, um, and and I'll tell you this, I have great respect for the men and women who do the technicals in, uh, in our industry uh, because they work hard in very difficult conditions um, for very little pay. Yeah. And so for me, though, at the time, I, I would wonder, you know, is, is there something more? And this is because, you know, my back, my, as I mentioned, I, uh, I was accustomed to um, performing, you know, being, a, being an actor in like school plays and 
you know, I was a, a theater major in in uh, college and all that. So I sort of had this 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 bug in me, you know, to go out there and to perform. And um, it came down to a head. Um, a couple of years later, I was uh, on my path to become a director at KITV. I uh, had actually been moved to Master Control. And Master Control is a job that um, is the, the person who runs Master Control um, is responsible for keeping the TV station on the air. Uh, so you'll roll the commercial breaks and you'll program whatever syndicated shows are going to run and then you know, count the newscast in so that they can, you know, do the local news. So basically you're sort of keeping the trains on time, you know, as master control. It's an important job, but I learned very quickly that was not the job for me because, you know, this was like when I was about 22, 23. Here I am, 23 years old, working uh, in a dark, cold control room um, by myself. Um, and my shift started Friday at midnight and lasted till Saturday at noon. Then it was Saturday midnight till Sunday at noon. Then I had like Monday, Tuesday off. And then I did studio floor for the rest of the week. So like I was dying, you know, like, I, and again, that's why I have so much respect for the people who do this job and do it well. But like I was, that is not the right place mentally for a 23 year old to be who is aspiring for more. Yeah. I felt very trapped. And so I'll remember um, uh, another event and, and, you know, gosh, I, I really hate to be trying to pull out all these major historical events as, you know, as like, you know, name dropping, but I do remember um, the uh, shuttle Columbia. Um, it, um, that is whenever it exploded. Um, it was on a mission <clears throat> and they had lost contact with it. And I believe it was a Sunday morning. So um, as master control, you have multiple different screens you're looking at. We were running local programming at the time. And then I started um, seeing some breaking um, from network on, on other screens. And I thought that's unusual, something about Columbia. And um, then we started getting, um, there's this uh, box that connects the CVS stations. Uh, it's like an intercom. So it sounds very much like this. You'll be working in the control room and then on the overhead speaker, you'll hear, uh, hey, CVS stations, this is CVS network control in New York. Uh, we're gonna be breaking in into some uh, programming here uh, about the shuttle Columbia. All right. So I go and run and I go find a news director who just happened to be in the building. His name was Tim Gardner, great guy. And I said, hey, Tim, I'm, I'm about to break in. Have you heard about uh, the shuttle Columbia? He was like, I, I've seen a couple things on the wire. What's going on? So me and the news director run back <clears throat> to the control room. I take network live. And that's when they're counting down. And that's when they start making the announcement that the shuttle has been lost, that there's loss in communication, and that there's been an explosion. And so at that point, Tim Gardner looked at me and he was like, all right, stay on top of this. Let me know if anything changes. And I got really excited. I mean, not because, you know, it was a very tragic event, but it was the um, adrenaline, that same feeling, that pull toward breaking news that energized me. Um, <clears throat> and so, like, 
I'd get information. We'd be talking to each other for a moment. We were the only ones in the building, me and the news director, Tim Gardner. And I felt, wow, you know, I'm contributing to something. In some way, I'm contributing here. And that was a very, um, a very addictive feeling, for lack of a better word. Um, it, it, it sort of stirred that, wow, I can be part of the process and, you know, I can, I can be part of what's going on here and, and make a difference. So it's at that point that everything changed in my mind. Yeah. You know, that is, that is interesting because, I mean, in many ways, but um, one thing it brings to mind for me is that I almost wish newsrooms had more of like a team involvement sort of thing um, with uh, people in the control room and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if there, there's got to be some way yeah. to do that, like create more of a, you know, we're, we're all on the team together or, you know, like, the, you know, this is, this is a bigger picture here. I mean, part of the issue, I think, honestly, is, is what you already said, which is that the pay is pretty low sometimes for some of those jobs. Um, and I think that leads yeah. to a little bit of, uh, like, chagrin from some of the folks. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, and, and, and part of that is just, like, innate in you, the, the fact that you were excited, not in, like, an evil way, but, like, that the adrenaline, you know, you felt like, hey, we got to get this out there. You know, this is big. This is big. Like, you had that sense of urgency. And I think some people just don't yeah. have that or don't care as much. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I just, I just well, wish there was a way to like cultivate that more in newsrooms from even people behind the scenes. It really has to do with, I believe, and, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but even in my own job right now, um, as meteorologist at KOB TV, um, it really takes, in my experience, in order to get everyone on the same page and to get everyone in production um, on the same page with you. And dare I say, even excited about what you're trying to do is reaching out and, and listening. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, working a production job is a very thankless job. Uh, and when I say production, I mean, working in the, in the technical aspect of TV, it's a very thankless job. Oftentimes I'm, I, I, I know for a fact I would show up for a, a, a job, you know, doing my job uh, back when I was in production, maybe without having interaction with anyone at all, yeah. you know, except for the person who's, who's relieving me. So I believe that getting on the same page with production and other departments requires you, the person who is trying to achieve this, the newsroom person, to reach out. And to make an effort to, to, to forge a, a, at least a, a respect, you know, mm -hmm. and explain what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do it. And, and in my experience, it can work out quite well. I have a great relationship with my um, production team at K, uh, KOB TV. But, um, you know, but you're right. Ultimately, there are some who work production and they're fine to come in and do their job and, and do it well and go home and, and not have, not really have a stake in doing news. And that's fine. That's fine for them. But I realized I became very acutely aware that uh, where I was working overnight master control was not for me. So I, um, and it took a really, it was a very hard decision because uh, those who are not from Odessa, Texas, um, 
may not realize how vastly different Odessa is from Austin, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Like a and world. so, well, indeed it is. Um, and then that is in no way trying to, to, you know, poke Odessa. That's my hometown. That's where I grew up. I love it and I'll always love it. But um, as a young 20-something man, um, I'm like, man, I do not want to move back to Odessa. I do not want to do that. But. My parents always made me a deal. They said, hey, if you want to come back, we'll pay for the rest of the college. It'll be on our terms. You'll have to go to schools in West Texas, but we'll pay for it. Hmm. So that is that is a deal. I don't care where you're from. So have someone offer to pay for college. Yeah. Yeah. You don't turn that down. No. So I decided um, – to uh, pack up and take my parents up on that offer. And so um, <laughs> I remember being driving, uh, my dad was in the moving truck and you know we were moving me back. And I remember uh, approaching that Midland skyline <laughs> and thinking, oh, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I quit TV. I was like, you know what? This master, this master control stuff is not for me. I've seen it. I've tried it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school. And in fact, I had to retake classes that I messed up before when I was 19, 20. Um, <laughs> even surprising one of my professors, he was my theater professor, and he remembered me from before. <clears throat> and there I am, fall semester, back in his class, and he's just like, talking to the new um, students and then looks at me, kind of cocks his head to the side and then just continues talking. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point I was done with TV. Um, I, um, I got a part-time job working at a, uh, an advertising agency. My best friend's mom owned it and she was good enough to hire me as an assistant to, you know, just doing odds and ends and stuff like that. Just basically paying, you know, so she could pay me. And um, I did that and I was in school. Yeah. So, you, okay, so how long, what, you know, did you, what, what, you, were you going to uh, University of Texas Permian Basin at that point? I finished up at Midland College. Midland College, okay. And so you yeah. were there and then did you think you would get back into TV or did you truly think, you know, I'm, I'm probably done with this, this, uh, this, this, career I thought I was done um you know by by the age of 23 I had worked in tv for what seven years right seven or so and um yeah I mean I thought I'd I'd done what I wanted to do you know uh from studio camera operator to you know director of production so I thought, yeah, I've seen what TV has to offer. Hold on, I'm really sorry. <laughs> is that uh, Bar Barkley? Barkley? <laughs> that is Barkley and the Boomer. <laughs> you have two dogs now? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't um, know you had a second one. Yeah, well, 
so we got Boomer a couple of years later, um, you know, just because uh, we work a lot. And um, so we wanted Barkley to have friends. And so we got Boomer and they love each other and they love to bark. So <laughs> that's their hobby. Um, but anyway, yeah, like, so I was done. I was done, man. And, uh, you know, um, circumstances had come to be that uh, – the job that I was working, the part-time job that I was working, um, could, could, couldn't afford to keep me, you know? And, uh, so they, they let me know that, you know, my position was being laid off and, you know, I mean, it was, I was grateful to have had it to begin with, but I wasn't done with school yet. You know, I still had a, I think like a year, year and a half left, something like that. So I, I, you know, I needed a job. Um, so, uh, my uh, best friend who was living in uh, one of my best friends who was living in Austin at the time came by to visit his mom, who was the owner of the advertising company that I was working at. And he mentioned that he had a, uh, a relative working at uh, the CBS station in Odessa, KOSA TV, and that he had just seen him like, or spoke to him the day before, and that they were hiring. CBS seven was hiring uh, a news photographer and you know, my friend was like, Hey, I mean, uh, I know you're looking for a job right now. Um, you want me to, uh, you know, say something. And I'm like, yeah, man. Um, so he gave me his relative's number. I called and I got my resume together, had never done photojournalism. Uh, you know, the, the closest I'd ever done was studio camera. And when I was a kid with my camcorder, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I did have CBS Austin to put on my resume. So there was that. So I did. Uh, I applied for the job. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was just if I said the right things during the interview. If um, Jed, uh, my, my friend's relative, had anything to do with it. I don't know but I got the job, you know, they hired me. Uh, they, they honestly took a chance on me because I'd never done, you know, news photojournalism before. So this meant you would be a, you know, a, a photographer who would, who would ride along, you know, and, and, and go get VOs and ride with reporters and possibly shoot packages and the whole, the whole nine yards. And you had never done that. You had done studio cam. Exactly. And I mean, those are two different worlds. How much did that job pay? Um, when I started CBS seven, the photographer, I want to say, I want to say they offered me something like eight fifty, eight hundred and fifty thousand per year. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, with the, with the yacht and jet and everything. It was so sweet. eight, eight fifty an hour. Yeah. And I, um, I guess in my first negotiation, salary negotiation, I said, you know, wouldn't it be better if we could do nine? And they did nine. So, yeah. There you go. You, you negotiated up to nine. Yeah, that's that's big time. So I, I, I got to jump backwards a little bit here and fact check you, fact check you, because I'm a journalist or was a journalist. Um, <laughs> on your KOB.com biography, it says Eddie started his career, his TV career at 17 years old. But I believe that earlier in this interview, you said 16. So we all want to know what, what the truth is. 
it's got to be 16 because that's when I got my first car. Well, I'm going to write to KOB4 and let them know that they better fix that. Man. Well, I will make sure that it gets to the person it needs to get to. Okay. (laughs) So you just, you send that and I'll get it. All right. I don't don't want viewers to feel lied to, you know? Well, you know, the thing is, is there are many years in this industry for me. So sometimes the memory can take a second to jog, you know what I mean? Uh, He started when he was seven years old. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. And of course, in Texas, that was legal. So that's right. Part time weekend studio. <laughs> yeah. So, <janitor. laughs> so part time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, so you're hired at, at CBS 7 News, KOSA TV in Odessa, Texas, your hometown. You just moved back. Are you living with your parents or did you get an apartment? Oh, I was living with my parents at the time. Living with your yeah. parents. And what year would this have been approximately? Okay, so let's see here. I moved back um, in July 2004. Um, I would assume that I worked for the advertising agency for about a year. So I'd say 05, maybe. Yeah, it would have to be something like spring 05. Okay, so you're hired uh, for $9 an hour. You're living with your parents. You're taking on something new. And what happened? How did they go? Well, you know, again, I was finishing college at the time, so I was kind of trying to straddle both these worlds. You know, I was trying to to make good on the mistakes that I had before in my education, and I was trying to uh, uh, explore this this new um, well, this new uh, industry. Really, it, it felt vastly different to me working in news than working behind the scenes in, in production. Even though I did start behind the scenes in news with as a news photographer. Well, you know, um, Odessa, Texas is market 156. So I went to, um, well, I went to a lot of ribbon cuttings. I remember that. Um, I remember shooting a lot of fender benders. Um, I seem to remember doing a lot uh, when it came to like, holiday events, you know, like the lighting of the Christmas tree. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, with uh, our our anchor Tatum Hubbard, you know, uh, switching the switch to turn on the official Christmas tree of Odessa and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I mean, so really, I mean, I I was doing the job of the news photographer, which at times can be very exciting, but also there was the mundane of grabbing VOs and VOSOTs and you know, ribbon cuttings and whatnot. But but I remember. Um, so I got hired, it must've been like April or May. Um, and they kept on sending me out to shoot packages, but the reporter would not go with me. So I'd walk into the newsroom, I'd go to the assignment desk and the assignment manager would say, Hey bud, um, here's a press release for, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be, uh, changing the carpet at, at the mall. So here, go and shoot that as a package for, you know, for, for this reporter okay so i'd go out there i'd shoot the package i'd get the interviews um and then i would take notes write information for the reporter and then i'd come back to the station ingest my footage into our system meet with the reporter and say okay here's the information here are the notes that i took and then they would write the package and then they would front it on air Mm -hmm. and i thought well (laughs) 
I could do that. I mean, I'm already shooting the package to begin with. So like, I mean, I could write, I could front stuff. Um, and it was actually a little bit irritating because I'm like, why is the reporter not going with me? You know, uh, why, why am I being sent to go shoot this package by myself when the reporter could very easily go with me? So I kind of thought that was unusual. And then um, I got my first enterprise story. Um, I had gone to have lunch with my parents and my mom uh, or my dad said, hey, by the way, um, they found your great uncle. And I was like, what? Okay, what great uncle? And I did not realize this. Uh, and I guess they didn't know that I was clueless about it. I had a uh, an uncle who uh, fought in, um, I guess it was the Korean War, and was listed as uh, missing. They never recovered his body. They never found him. Well, in Papua New Guinea, there had been a discovery of uh, a mass grave, which included U.S. military service members. And my uncle was one of them. So they were, they exhumed his remains. Um, with proper proper uh, military honors and everything, flew it to El Paso, Texas, and the um, the story of it was that they were with a funeral procession going to bring his uh, remains to Pecos, Texas, uh, which is near Odessa, and so there would be a funeral procession, there would be a proper military burial. Um, and it would be the whole, the whole thing. And so I, uh, I pitched this story to my news director and I said, yeah, it's going to happen on Saturday. And, uh, um, you know, I think that, that we should do it. And he said, okay, well, you know, we really don't have the staff. We don't really have the reporter for that. Um, but you know, if you wanted to go shoot, um, like a VO or a package, we could have one of the anchors do it. And I said, you know, Jerry, I honestly, I really would like you to give me a shot at this. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, I, I'd really like to be the reporter on this story. And he thought about it for a minute. He said, okay, go gather, go gather the stuff, uh, shoot a stand up and bring it back and have the weekend producer look over it. And then we'll see. We'll see. So I did. I went. I, you know, and of course it's my family. So I have like all access, you know, to everything. Um, I went and found out where the procession was going to be passing, which was multiple dozens of vehicles. Uh, I didn't realize this, but along the way, um, veterans and um, various interested parties, I guess, had either through pre-planning or I don't know if it was extemporaneous, but they, they joined the procession. So by the time I was getting to Pecos, it was huge. It was this, this motor convoy of, um, um, you know, flashing lights and uh, emergency vehicles and the, the limousines and, and the hearse and all that. And it was a great shot. So I, I set up and I shot my stand up with that as the background as the cars are passing by. I get the interviews with the family. I get the burial. I get everything. Basically, I found out when I got back to the station, I got too much. Um, I got six interviews, though. <clears throat> which, as you know, for a day turn, it's kind of a lot. 
yeah, it's like too many, which is like a weird, I think like people outside the business would, would kind of say, what do you mean? But it's just like, it's almost too many. It's basically too many. It's too many. Right. So we made the decision to break it into two packages. The producer at the time was Armando Saldivar. He helped me write it. He taught me what news writing was. He helped me track it and he encouraged me. And because of him, I was able to get those pieces on the air and um, I actually ended up winning um, regional Texas Associated Press Awards for them. Wow. For the, for your very, for your first two stories, you won AP awards. Yeah. The, the regional ones in Odessa, Midland. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, so how did you have time to, to do that? Cause I mean, newsrooms can be very busy and active and crazy places. And was it just kind of the thing like you were on the weekend and it was a little bit slow or did you stay late or how did this, I mean, first of all, amazing stuff from Armando to take the time to help you grow, you know, invaluable uh what he did but like how was their time for that uh i went on my day off oh okay there you go yeah i went on my day off um, so that was like an inflection point i mean that that forever changed your career in my eyes um what what was yeah. it in, in brief what was it that made you take that leap a lot of people would be too afraid to step up and say i want to do this job that i'm Essentially, like you weren't at least on paper, you weren't qualified for it. But I mean, obviously, yeah. off. Yeah. I mean, for those listening, I mean, you you are one of the the best storytellers I've ever met. You know, in any market to this day. Thank you. Um. So wow, thank you. Wow. You, you were definitely qualified off paper, but on paper, you were not qualified. So, what gave you the bravery? Just this. You know, I think I get it from my from my parents, really. Um, the long and the short of it is my parents grew up dirt poor. Uh, my dad picked cotton and, um, he and my mom decided to uproot for an opportunity in California. He, uh, saw, and uh, he was working on a farm, but like he was visiting a friend in LA and, uh, there was an aircraft company called McDonald Douglas aircraft that was hiring a janitor. He thought, you know what? I think I'm done with the farm. So he moved. Um, my mom there, um, you know, and my, I think my oldest sister was born at that time. And he started as a janitor at McDonnell Douglas aircraft. And he would notice these guys uh, walking in with suits and briefcases. And he says, you know, I want to do that. So he went to night school for five years while he was working as a janitor. Wow. And got his certification became, um, in the, he became a programmer. Um, the first computers that they were using to create the wings of the aircraft. Mm. Uh, I, I assume for aircraft like the DC-10, things like that. Um, he went to college for that and came back wearing a suit, carrying a briefcase, and being an engineer in that way. And so I grew up hearing these stories, you know. And my dad's like, hey, you know, if one man can do it, you can do it. You just got to apply yourself. and You got to sacrifice and do what it takes. So I carried that with me and I knew I could do this because I had shot other packages before I had the experience performing on stage, um, as a young child, I had the, uh, know how and the creativity because of the, uh, you know, camera work that I did, uh, <laughs> with my you know, own private camcorder when I was a kid. And I felt that that 
gave me um, what I needed to at least try, to at least attempt, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, I could do this. And so you're right, it was a turning point because I remember after after I shot everything I needed to shoot, um, I remember, because uh, my parents were there at the funeral too, and so we're in Pecos, and they're like, hey, do you want to grab a bite to eat before you go back to Odessa? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. And Pecos is very significant to me um, because my grandmother lived there. Um, she died when I was in high school, but I grew up going there all the time. And so there's this one restaurant that we would always go to, um, this one plate that I always loved, you know. And so I'm like, yeah, let's go to that place and let's go, let's go have lunch. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm eating, and you know, my mom is very, she's an empath, you know, she's very, uh, uh, she has lots of empathy, so she can read my face. And of course, she's my mother. And uh, I remember just sitting there thinking about, wow, I can't believe I just did this. You know, I went out, I bought a shirt, I bought a tie, you know, I ironed it as best as I could. I slapped it on, I shot a package, I did my first stand up, I did all these things. It was kind of just like the first second I had to to debrief and just to sit back. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is what I was thinking about when I was working overnight master control in Austin, that, you know, there's this other life that uh, is uh, so different and so much better. And I just remember just thinking that internally and just kind of like nodding my head to myself, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, this, this is it. I've made and it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And my mom's looking at me, but because she knew the struggle that I went through working over that master control, she was like, "Yeah, son, you did good." So that was it. Yeah, that's awesome. So you you were hooked on on day one. You were you were hooked, and you you proved to yourself very very quickly that that you could hang with uh, you know the the as a reporter. Um, it sounds like yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, you know. It, I started getting calls on my day off from my news director saying, Hey, I know it's your day off, but would you like to report? We are shorter reporter. Um, we need someone to cover this story. And I'd be like, yep. Every opportunity I got, I'd create opportunities. You know, I, I would, I would create my own enterprise without even knowing that that's what a reporter is supposed to do. I created my own enterprise stories, you know? Um, but they still wanted me to keep, they still wanted to keep me as a news photographer because I mean, let's be frank. Hey, why not? Yeah. We got a photographer who can report. So we got two and one. And this was before MMJs really were um, uh, a mainstream thing because even at market 156, we had reporter photographer combos. Right. So back then I believe they call it one man band. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, so, I seized upon those opportunities, and um, one day I got a call from our news rival, KWS9, uh, the NBC affiliate in West Texas, telling me of a job that they think that I would be good for. Um, they wanted to see if I was interested in being a producer and a reporter. And I said, reporter, you say? So I um, went and I met with this, uh, their news director at the time was named Jay Hendricks. He was also their main anchor. <laughs> and so they, uh, they brought me under cloak into the front room. And, Cause I'd been on air a few times and they don't want, I don't know what they were trying to do, but 
I met with Jay Hendricks, and he's like, yeah, uh, we need a producer and a reporter. You want to do it? And um, he laid out what the position would be and said, you know, the pay is 24000 bucks. And, um, yeah, you get your foot in the door being a reporter. So that's what I took to – so that is, uh, I guess, my first leverage, you could say. Yeah, I totally forgot that you had worked at the NBC affiliate, at, uh, uh, K-West. I, I forgot about that. Well, no, no, I, I just got a job offer. Oh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. So that's what you meant by leverage, yeah, that's, it's, uh, sorry. Well, yeah, it was an offer. It was a 24-hour take it or leave it. Um, and so um, let me back up just a little bit. At the time, we had a... Um, news director working at KOSA when I was a photographer there. Um, he was on his way out. And to be frank, there were rumors about that because there were rumors that we had hired a new news director and uh, a person who had worked at KOS 9, our competitor, by the name of Jose Guyona. And I had friends who worked at KOS who worked with Jose and I heard all these cautionary tales. Oh, watch out for that guy. You know, he's brutal. You know, he's uh, going to do this. He's going to do that. You know, heads are going to roll if he starts at CBS 7. So I already kind of have that in the background mm. going on in my head. So when I get this offer at KLOS 9, I'm like, well, maybe this is what I need to do. I'll become a reporter, I'll get a little bit more money, and I'll be spared this scary new news director who's going to start. Yeah, this well, jerk who's about to come in and clean house, right? Yeah. You know, I was, <laughs> at least that was yeah. the rumor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, um, I did have the presence of mind, though, to at least go to our general manager, wonderful man by the name of Barry Marks at CBS 7. And I remember, because um, everything is rumor. You know how a newsroom is. Yeah. Once there are rumblings of change to come, but management's never going to say it until it's already in progress, right? Right, right. So I remember going to Barry's office, and he's like, hey, what's going on, bud? And I'm like, um, can we talk? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem, man. What's going on? What's going on? Very nice, accommodating guy, you know? Yeah. And I say, I have been given a job offer. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, really? News West 9. <laughs> what? <laughs> News West 9. <laughs> um, News West 9 wants to hire me and make me a producer and a reporter. And they're going to pay me $24,000. <laughs> you know. So he's like, well, I'll tell you what. Um, we, I think we could do better than that. And I said, and another thing, I know Jose is coming. <laughs> he paused. I know your plans. And he looked at me and he said, huh, didn't really think we could keep that one a secret, huh? Well, he gets his phone, his headset phone, you know, and he says, uh, you mind if I make a call real quick? <clears throat> so he dials a couple numbers. He's like, Jose, Barry, hey, listen. I know you don't start for another few weeks, but I got uh, I got your first decision you got to make. Wow. Eddie Garcia is in here, and uh, he is being uh, offered a position at News West 9. 
um, to be a producer and a reporter, and um, he wants to uh, see if we can if we can work with him on that. And so he's like, uh huh, uh huh, and then he gives me the uh, headset. And the first time I ever spoke to Jose was on the phone. And he's like, hey, hey, what's up, man? Yo, 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 dog. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited to start CBS seven, dude. And I've been watching you and you're like doing a good job. You're like, man, like you got potential. Like, I want you to be part of my team. Yeah. Like you just want to be a reporter and drop the producer part. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's do that. Give, give the phone to Barry. So he did. And Barry says, okay, congratulations. Oh, and we're going to give you more money than that. So I got twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, the deal was that I um, would continue in my duties as photographer, part time reporter until Jose started, and then Jose would determine my new schedule as a reporter. So I became a reporter at CBS Seven News. Market one fifty six. Um, so that was like oh, two thousand. Oh. Was that? Mm, I would say 2006, late 06, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you're now an on-air news reporter. You, you, you did a, you did an amazing job of, of like leveraging and proving your way into it. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, for those listening to this long lead up story, I mean, Eddie is now, you know, Eddie's an award-winning reporter at this point. Um, and currently, is uh you know has his uh meteorology certification from mississippi state university which is pretty much known as the best or one of the best uh places to get your certification from um so you've come a long way so that was 2006 i know i met you in in uh, the summer of 2008 whenever i started at that station and the crazy thing mm-hmm. is i mean me you were this like very polished veteran you know storyteller i mean had you not told me that you had been a photographer i, I wouldn't have believed you you know um so it was pretty uh pretty amazing to see someone but you know what i mean it just goes to show and the reason we do this podcast is you know you can take a hundred different pathways to get where you're going whether it's news reporting or anything anything i mean you can there's different pathways but it does take hard work it takes some courage it takes you know you to take some risks and you know there's also some disappointments on that road too i think and, and some tough times Oh, for sure. You know, um, it, uh, I enjoyed for many years, um, my career being on an upward trajectory and and in many ways it still is, but there are bumps along the way, you know, um, the path to, you know, this, the the path from point A to point B is rarely in a straight line and is rarely as short as you think it's going to be. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, after my career at CBS seven and working with all of you guys uh, there. Um, best experience of my life was working with you guys at CBS Seven. Um, you know, be- best best young experience of my life because um, we were all new, we were all hungry, we all were passionate and hard workers, and we could party just as hard as we could as we could work, you know? <laughs> Heck and, yeah. Yeah. You had yeah. a lot of 
So, so Eddie ended up uh, basically living in, in a house that his parents owned, and, and right? I mean, that was basically the situation. No, I owned it. I you owned it. it. Okay, you owned the house. You, you had a house. Um, that's right. I forgot. You, so you, had, you had Eddie owned a home, and it was funny. I mean, you know, small market news, you were renting out rooms to two of our coworkers, uh, <laughs> uh, Gary and Alan, and then you guys would throw some pretty epic parties that everybody could come to. They were great, man. Like, you know, that's, to me, that I, I missed out on the four-year uh, university experience, but I feel like sort of the, I guess, the private lives we lived um, off the air made up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's a bunch of young people uh, with a very stressful job, an important job, and they work hard. And at the end of the day, I mean, it was all, it was all kosher. It was all good stuff, but we, we played very hard as well. Um, was definitely the case. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a bar, oh, yeah. there was a bar in our building, so to speak, cause our, the station was in a mall. <laughs> so you had to walk about a hundred yeah. yards and you were at that bar. So I definitely remember some oh, yeah. happy hours there, um, that occurred after the 10 o'clock news, uh, cause it's central time for those of you who don't know. So our, our newscast was always 10 o'clock, which I missed that. I miss. I miss being done at, at uh, 1030 at night, you know, on the East coast. You're on a, it's a, it's 11. It's 11. Yeah. So you're not done till 1130, you know, and, and then uh, God help you if you're, you know, you're home before midnight and then, you know, and then uh, if you're, if you're a night, night side person, like I've always been, uh, you, you end up staying up till 2am usually because you're just trying to wind down. So. But yeah, I mean, but, that, but that's the life of night starters, you know? That is the life. Um, I mean, a lot of the photographers I know to this day will stay up till 5 and 6 a.m., which I just, I, I could never do that. But they, they just can't wind down. I mean, they, they treat it more like the way that people who work nine to five jobs treat their lives, you know, where you come home and, yeah. and then you stay up for six yeah. hours and then you go to bed. And I, I can't do that. But um, it, it is tough to Me wind either. down. <laughs> Maybe I could back in the CBS seven days, but. Not at 38, I'll tell you that. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Nor but, do I want to. I don't think it's healthy to, you know, I'm, I'm actually a pretty big believer about, um, you know, trying to get enough sleep. And, and I, they say that the sleep you get before midnight is, is healthier, actually, which is a very natural segue into what's probably the most bizarre story, I've, I mean, maybe that I've ever covered. Or, or it's just kind of sad, really, that I, that I don't know, the, the whole thing. But so, so when I was at CBS 7 with Eddie, um, I came up with that, this idea because whatever Jose Guyona, our news director, for some reason, I guess I was so young and so inexperienced that I thought sweeps pieces, you know, a story that you did for sweeps had to like change the world. I, I don't know. I had this very like incorrect. Yeah. And I had like so much pressure on my own shoulders when he was like, Bo, I want you to do a sweeps piece. And I thought, oh my God, this is, you know, my, <laughs> my yeah. higher calling. This is my chance. Uh, you know, Jose thinks I'm good. And I thought I have to blow him out of the water. And um, unfortunately, I didn't really have any sources at all. I had no one, no sources, not a single source. So I didn't have any good tips. So I had to just kind of manufacture, you know, like a, like a, a think piece or like, a, you know, a long form thing. And so we had this guy we worked with, a great guy named Jason. And he was yeah. in master control of all places. So, so you could relate to it because you had kind of, live that lifestyle and he would come in and not really talk to many people because he was in a different room. And I remember I used to always talk with him to say hello, things like that. And, um, yeah. but he told me that he was an insomniac. And, and so that really struck me because I'd never met someone like that. And he basically said he never yeah. slept and he, I mean, 
sadly for Jason, I mean, it, it wasn't hard to believe because he did kind of look sort of tired a lot. And um, yeah. so I thought, well, man, would you talk about that publicly? And he was like, no, no, no. So for weeks and months, I, I, I would always just check in with him and see how he was doing and see if he'd be willing to talk about it. And finally, I convinced him. And he said, yeah, I would. So the place where the story took a left turn, though, was, <laughs> was that for some reason, I, I thought I felt that I had to make it incredibly cinematic i was like oh it's <laughs> i was like so what i want to do is illustrate how lonely it is to be an insomniac when you're awake in the middle of the night so what i want to have to do is, is have jason walk down the middle of a busy like a busy street <laughs> at 2 a.m and unfortunately this was being filmed in in february and that was like probably the like the coldest february in odessa history there was ice everywhere so yeah <laughs> what we we like went out at like midnight i think you talked me into not doing it at 3 a.m and we went out at like midnight in a live truck i don't think we had permission yeah. to do this and and we had to I no i was standing on top of an icy live truck we were in the middle of 42nd street which is like the busiest street in odessa and we're all freezing no, no, no. our asses off and we have jason walk down the street in the dark <laughs> Well, listen, we had to get the shot. <laughs> we can see, see our breaths. And then we go to a diner. And I still remember you're getting these creative shots from behind a coffee cup. And you're basically doing all the work. And I'm just kind of standing there. And, oh, man. <laughs> we, I, I will say this. Uh, we could have planned it out better. Um, I think we had, you know, midnight's kind of a late start first week shoot. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I will never forget how cold it felt. And, of course, you you know, you come up from the Northeast, so you know cold. Yeah. But to me, yeah, it was a very uh, – <laughs> well, you know what? I was honored that you asked me to help you shoot it. Well, I mean, looking back on it, that was really, really nice of you to, to, to do what you did, um, which oh, was man. basically take, you know, your off time and help me shoot this goofy story. But um, – <laughs> You know, it was definitely a learning experience. And then we interviewed that doctor who basically went really, really far with his statements. He was like, if you don't get enough sleep, you will die. <laughs> you will commit. I remember that we had, for some reason, we brought Jason to our interview with the doctor. Oh, my God. So he came with us. So when we were interviewing the doctor, Jason was in the room. And, you know, you're asking the questions, you're like, okay, well, you know, when it comes to insomnia, you know, what are the, not to be overdramatic here, but what are the worst case scenarios? <laughs> and so, like, the doctor's listing all these terrible things that can happen, but all the while his eyes keep on darting towards Jason, who's hearing all this stuff. <laughs> so with an insomniac in the room, he finally, like, sort of, like, spit out, like, the worst things that could happen, and then, like, I rem I'll never forget, like, the last part of that soundbite was him saying, and he was like, yeah, and, and eventually it, it could lead to a, a, a su suicide, suicide. <laughs> and there's Jason Jason, listening. Poor Jason's in the room with us, and, and the guy's like, yeah, I mean, suicide, <laughs> and murder, you know, all kinds of things if you don't get enough sleep. <laughs> Homicide, suicide, yeah, that was a soundbite, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I remember right. he couldn't quite the word suicide out because he was looking at Jason as he was <laughs> saying the word. Yeah, that, was, that story was, you know, I think, I think we both probably learned a little bit about, about vetting, you know, a story and the interviews you're going to be doing and um, not bringing the person you're talking about with you to the doctor's office. I mean, we basically, 
convince that doctor to do like a clinical evaluation of Jason on the spot in front of us with cameras and then talk about very tragic outcomes that can occur in front of Jason I mean, who I, literally was dealing with this problem. So it was probably not the most yeah. ethical situation looking back on it. And, you know, again, this is market. When I started, um, 156. it was bigger, Eddie. It was bigger when I started. It was 151, 151 by then. Whoa, kid. Whoa. Yeah, maybe the oil boom, you know, people were moving there. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, that was a wild story. I mean, you know, for what it was, I, I think it was, it was probably fascinating. It was probably about five minutes too long, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> to this day, I have a problem with making stories too long. But I, I seriously think that was like a seven-minute story <laughs> about insomnia <laughs> in West Texas. <laughs> I think we put very so dramatic you, it, music with it. We're basically telling everybody if you don't sleep, you're gonna you're gonna die like tomorrow. Well, hopefully that long piece helped insomniacs get some rest. Yeah. No, actually, to to, to, my, to to our credit though, I will say there is a book called Why We Sleep, and it's by a very 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 like respected um, like neuroscientist and like sleep expert and doctor from like Stanford University. So he's no joke. He's not like a snake oil salesman or anything. And he has like years and years of research. And he basically says like, God darn it, we need to be getting eight hours of sleep a night, like, or 10. Yeah. Um, and he's like, none of us do it. We, we all think we're too cool for that. We're too, we have too many responsibilities. You know, it's not sexy in our culture to sleep. And he's like, we are screwing ourselves. It is a major, major issue. Um, you know, there's more and more evidence that lack of sleep can actually lead to like Alzheimer's later on in life and dementia. And, you know, you're creating like little bits of damage every time you get basically less than like seven and a half hours of sleep. So anyway, um, oh, yeah. and this is in a like recently published book in the last year that's doing really well, actually, it's selling a lot of copies. So it is very difficult right. in life, you know, with kids and relationships and jobs and, but he's like, we're the only species that will like deprive ourselves of sleep for no biological reason. So like, you know, it's like, if you're like a wolf, you know, you're, you're lacking sleep because you're like out hunting and stuff or you're, you know, nursing your young. But as humans, we'll do it so we can catch up on episode reruns of The Office. You know, we're, we're just, yeah. ah, I want to see this. Yeah. Movie, so I'm just going to push through my desperately tired body, you know, and, and just watch <laughs> the movie or, you know, I'm just going to go drinking with the boys. And it's like, you know, there's no reason oh. to do that other than just, I don't know what social pressure. So anyway, well, there's my yeah, rant. I mean I, you know what? I'm with you. Uh, a lot of people will brag and say, Oh, you know, I got three hours of sleep last night. I'll brag and I'll say, Hey, I got, I got to sleep at eight 30 last night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I prefer sleep. I prefer sleeping longer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, anyway, but we, I, we were on the right track there, but it was just very, very dramatic that piece. Um, yeah. But I mean, it did see, it, you know, to this day, I still think, you know, sitting down with an insomniac is, is, an, is an interesting, fascinating topic. It's just, you know, I was, I didn't understand what Sweep's piece was. I thought it had to be eight minutes and really dramatic and have music and, you know, blow people away. And, well, and um, I, I think your, I think your notion about the story and your approach was on the right track because um, as storytellers, we, endeavor to show the actuality of the people that we portray or that would not, not that we portray that we feature. Right. So the instincts to, you know, maybe we didn't have the technology that we needed back then, but almost like the time lapse 
of uh, Jason in his apartment, you know, going through an entire day time lapsed, you know, could have been one approach. Uh, following the character, um, the, the, the person in question, I think was the, the right instinct. And, and, and what proves, you know, even in, in the very beginning, uh, you uh, had your priorities in the right place as a, as a very skilled storyteller. So I, I just um, think it, uh, execution, execution is, um, is a skill within itself. Yeah. And how we execute these stories and tell these stories about these people showing the actuality of their situation uh, and, and portraying the reality of their lives is very hard to capture sometimes, especially if you're limited on time. Right, right. So we were doing that basically like, you know, we're on salary, so we're not being paid hourly and there was no overtime. I don't know if that was legal back then, but we were not paid overtime at all. So um, or comp days or comp days. It might be a Texas thing. I don't know. Um, Yeah, probably. But uh, everything's a Texas thing. You know, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you're working there in the news business at age 12. Eddie Garcia gets his start and (laughs) go go works 90 hours a week and is paid the same (laughs) amount of money. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the thing was I wanted to show that guy at night. I, want, I, I felt we needed to show him during the nighttime. And man, did that suck because, you know, it was during our off time and we were tired and it was really cold out. But I just felt like you can't do a story about an insomniac and show him at noon, you know, really. I mean, you could, but like, you know, you got to show yeah. him like when he's up and he's by himself and he feels like he's the only man on earth because I, I, I know, you know, anyway. But uh yeah. It was a great learning experience. I mean, and that was that, that's what that market was. I mean, my, my goodness, my first report, I'll never forget, you know, Jose sends me out. Well, the first ride along I did was with Greg Morgan, who was like a meteorologist. And he t- takes me out in his truck to shoot a VO, yeah. which is just crazy that meteorologists are shooting VOs for you. But that he, Greg Morgan <laughs> shoots a VO of a car crash down the street. And um, that was my first ride along. And then uh, I think the same day or maybe the next day, Jose sent me to cover a tree that had fallen down that was he, he wanted to start me off slow um mm-hmm. I did a look live I don't even think it hit air or it might have it was like 30 seconds but uh yeah I mean I was god awful I was horrible at that time <laughs> um but you know I've talked about this with somebody else on this podcast and it's it's you know the good news directors are able to sift through you know the early uh nerves and and, and rough spots and, and people who are rough around the edges but spot the talent, you know, that that's going to emerge or, or, you know, yeah. the potential they have. And so I think, you know, not to be like braggadocious, but I think he saw that to some extent in me and definitely in you and that he was willing to take that chance on you, you know, because he was, he was really, you know, taking a risk with you because he was a brand new news director and he was young. I mean, he was, so when he, when he hired me, he was 33. So when he hired you, he was probably, uh, you know, 31, 30 years old as, as a news director. So, yeah. Yeah, took a chance. So you were in Odessa and you won like a ton of uh, Associated Texas Associated Associated Press Broadcasters uh, first place awards. I think at one point you might have won best reporter, um, small market reporter in the Uh, state, right? I was up for it, uh, but I got uh, I got second. But you know what? That's all right. (laughs) But I mean, you were you so you won second best reporter in the entire state of Texas for. Uh, small market TV, right? Yeah, that was um, that was when I was on my way out. I believe that was oh, um, probably oh nine. Okay, yeah. Um, but and, do you remember? Uh, I, I loved being in that newsroom with you, and you were an incredible uh, mentor for me. I mean, to this day, I still can't 
write stories and weave it together the way that you could um, with video. Um, and and you're, you're a fantastic editor. It was really in, in writer was what was your was one of your gifts. And all, I guess all, really the whole thing. I mean, this, the, the, the cinematic uh, filming and the ideas for shots. And so I learned a ton from you and, and to this day aspired to be you know, the type of storyteller that you are and, and or were. And the reason I speak in past tense is not that Eddie has passed away. It's that he um, <laughs> moved on to, to really a different sector of the business. And so how did that come about? I mean, you, you're this, you know, up and coming reporter, you've carved your own path. You're, you're, you're winning awards. You're the second best reporter in the state of Texas, small market. And then you just take this turn and you jump to a, well, a much, much bigger market, top 50, I believe. Um, but you, you, you're, you know, talk about that, that, that transition. Well, yeah, uh, you're talking about whenever I jumped to Albuquerque, uh, I currently, uh, uh still am in, Al in Albuquerque. Um, I left Odessa, um, September 2010. Um, and I got the job here at KOB as general assignment reporter with the, um, with the plan to, serve out my contract you know i signed a three-year deal here um get my feet wet in a larger market because you know um i number one had only lived in one large city in my life which was austin you know i grew right. up in odessa so this was me living in a new large compared to odessa a large city um exclusively as a reporter an on-air person and uh, even though I had been on air for years in Odessa, my hometown, it was different. That's when I came here. I was like, wow, this is like real. I mean, this is like going from in a span of like six years, overnight master control to top, you know, market 44 reporter. And it was, a, it was a, an intimidating proposition for me because um, uh, we all have the things in our lives that drive us mentally. But also we have those uh, parts of ourselves that are um, not helpful. And, and one of my issues is always, not always, but sometimes in the back of my head, I have what's considered imposter's syndrome. Ah, yes. Meaning, yeah. yeah, meaning I know I really did not take a traditional path to become a journalist. Um, I know that I didn't have the journalism degree uh, I didn't come up like most reporters did. And I'm acutely aware of that. And sometimes whenever uh, facing an intimidating situation for this one, you know, becoming a reporter in a news market, uh, sort of the feeling, the, the, the bad feeling in the back of my head of like, oh, they're going to see right through me. They're going to see right through me that I'm just some Odessa kid got lucky one day and, and they let him tell some stories and he did a good job at Odessa, but now we're in the real deal. This is the real world. You know, this is a, this is a different state. People don't know me here. I, I, I didn't grow up. And, and so I had to, I had to put those thoughts away because I find that if you entertain that kind of negative energy, it will affect your performance. Yeah. Whether absolutely. you know it or not. Yeah. Absolutely. Very true. You know, I mean, what, what helped me, honestly, what, a huge thing that helped me what, was just getting older. And, and like, it's it not, and by getting older, I mean, like, like, so when I, it's just like more experience. So when I learned 
like honestly, when I learned that imposter syndrome was a term, that actually helped mm-hmm. me hugely because I was because I honestly thought I was the only one. I was like, oh, it's just me. Like, I suck. You exactly. know, I'm 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 here by accident. You know, I'm horrible. Um, I don't deserve this. And then when I heard that, like that's a thing that other people feel. I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, this is just like a, like a human thing. You know, this is something that people feel, you know, and I'm not alone. And that was hugely, you know, like I almost wish I would have known that earlier. I definitely do. Um, that that was a term because it would have really given me more confidence just to know that I wasn't the only one, but I thought I was the only one, you know, who doubted myself and, you know, felt out of place. Likewise, likewise. And, and it did, you know, same thing. Um, you know, I, now I'm, I'm not saying that I have the, the syndrome itself. I'm just saying that, you know, those thoughts, sure. um, <clears throat> but absolutely it was immensely helpful. Me finding out probably around the same time you did, there must've been an article or something, but, um, realizing that, yeah, I mean, the, I think that if you can tap into, and I think that as a storyteller, this is where it is if you can tap into that humanity, that driving force that kind of makes us um, alike in some ways, everyone has self-doubt at at some point in their life. Everyone is going to feel intimidated by doing something new or being somewhere new. But I think it's in understanding the humanity of this is natural. A lot of other people are feeling this. And so the way that we respond in our careers is not, oh, I hope I don't get imposter syndrome. It's going to happen. It's in how you react to such things. Yeah. <clears throat> and I use it, you know. Um, I had, um, I, I would say that I had a little bit of difficulty um, doing general assignments when I was new at KOB. So you, were, you hired as a, were you hired in for weather or for, for general assignment? No, just general assignments news. Ah, okay. I, for, I couldn't quite remember. So you were hired as general assignment um, yeah. and then you were having some trouble, you said. I was just having trouble making contacts. You know, um, our, our industry has many, many facets. And one of them is the uh, morning editorial meeting. And if you work night side, the afternoon editorial meeting. Um, meetings, even at CBS 7, <clears throat> I felt were never my strong point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, you come in, <clears throat> you have the pressure to pitch um, your best stuff, enterprise, not received from a paper, um, not gotten from anywhere else, a unique, vetted story that is turnable yeah um and and i found difficulty being in a new market doing that i found i had difficulty finding finding my my beat as well and, and just just to jump in quickly i mean for the record you know i, I don't know who your news director was and i, I don't need to know but like a, a good good management team understands that when you're new it can take up to a year or two to develop good sources so I don't know, you know, what yeah. your pitches sounded like, you know, which might have been on you, but, you know, it, it also might be on management too. And, and what I found is that management should understand that. I mean, you should also be working hard to, you know, network and, and there's strategies you can do. One of them is drive, take a different route to work every day. You know, I, I've been told because you see different things, you know, don't just take the same route. Mm-hmm. 
and you'll get story ideas. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, that's a two way street for the record. I just want to, you know, tell anyone listening that that I, I truly believe that, that, you know, it's on the reporter, but it's also on management to realize, okay, this person's new, like they're not going to have, you know, earth shattering pitches on day one. Okay. Yeah. No, and you know, and, and I, and I think that was understood at the time. Um, uh, you know, but it was, so whenever I was living in Odessa as a reporter and I was working really hard, I was burning that candle pretty hot and at both ends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I wouldn't use my vacation time. I really wouldn't give myself opportunity to rest very much because I wanted to do the thing from day one. I wanted to prove why I deserved to be on air doing my job. And so that pushed me to really um, um, uh, not focus so much on the things that are, I later learned is the work-life balance for me and my estimation of life Mm-hmm. is crucial yeah uh, in odessa it was a hundred percent work and whatever whatever life i could squeeze in you know parties and late night out you know whatever right right so when i got here i felt pretty burnt already um working as general assignments reporter and i think that it was that fatigue that i started feeling settling in because like at this point uh we're talking 2010 2011 so I had been reporting for half a decade, I guess, at that point. And um, I, I just feel like it was that sort of fatigue that was sort of working against me. And I started to, uh, I started to hate it, to be, to be real with you. I, I really did. Hmm. Um, the, the reporting I, aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did because I was not, because I was disappointed. I knew my potential. I knew my vision for certain stories, but for whatever reason, I couldn't execute it a lot of the time. So I became dissatisfied with my work. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard thing. Uh, you know, reporting for me, had never. you know, I'm not going to say that it was easy because, you know, reporting is a is a is a job that you work at and you get skilled at over the years but there wasn't that uh, i don't know i didn't i didn't feel that same rush of going out and getting my first story you know what i mean i i didn't feel that so um i i was i was sort of thinking okay well maybe it's time to change course you know um in my personal life things had settled you know i have someone at home so I wanted to spend more time at home. I wanted a more stable uh, schedule. As you know, reporting schedules can shift and change all the time. Um, there is no really set schedule for reporting. You may be day side for a long time, but sometimes you might switch to night side and who knows. So I, I wanted something else and I thought, well, maybe I should be an anchor. Maybe that's something I should start looking toward. Mm-hmm. And then an opportunity presented itself. Um, my news director at the time said, hey, we uh, are going to have an opening um, uh, in the weather department. Uh, we like your live shot presence. We like your personality and your style when you're on air, especially when you're out covering, you know, whatever weather event I, I might have before, you know. 
and we want to see if that translates to the screen. Would you be interested in trying weather? And to be honest, uh, up until that moment, uh, uh, you know, well, I hadn't really seriously thought about it. Now, while in Odessa, I covered Hurricane Katrina. We went to Mississippi and covered the damage. I was in Hurricane Ike. We went storm chasing, chasing tornadoes, did wildfires, you know, the whole thing, thing that, the things that we used to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I, I always kind of seem to excel in those situations, so why not? So we did a screen test. Well, actually, I, uh, I had to come in early in the morning because uh, mm-hmm. I believe I was working day side at the time. So I'd come in a couple hours early, and uh, the morning meteorologist would train me. And we did that for a couple months. I'd come in early every day. He trained me. Then I'd do my, I'd do my, my uh, day turns, my reports of the day. And then we did a screen test, and they liked it. And I liked it. There was a freedom in it. It, it reminded me of doing a live shot, but not quite a live shot, you know? Yeah. And so they, uh, they promoted me to weekend, uh, weekend forecaster. And it was at that moment that I thought, okay, I'm liking this. Um, I can see myself doing this. So I decided to uh, sign up and do the school. If I'm going to do the thing, I might as well do it right. So I uh, signed up for um, distance learning at Mississippi State University, part of the broadcast meteorology program. Started doing that. And within eight months to a year of a weekend meteorologist, I was promoted to the position of the uh, chief meteorologist position. Hmm. Uh, Now, at at the time, I wasn't a meteorologist. I was still in school. I was a forecaster. And I believe that the title that they gave me was lead forecaster. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that full time and I was um, uh, earning my degree at Mississippi State University full time. Wow. Oh, you're, you're always working. <clears throat> yeah. Working Let me tell you, that math is intimidating. <laughs> So you got you you did get the the certificate. Is it a degree or certificate? What's that called? It's a certificate, and it is a three year program, and um, it uh, it's uh, I believe twelve hours per semester, um, three semesters a year, fall, spring, and summer. You do that. Um, you go out to Mississippi to the university itself for like the last you know, basically for your final, final exam to prepare you for it. And you take it online. And then uh, if you pass with a, I think it's a 80, 80 or above you, um, you're certified and you can call yourself a meteorologist. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's where I was. And, uh, there were a few bumps along the way, you know, um, um, management changes all the time in television, depending on what station you work at. Uh, for various reasons. And so uh, there was a change in management. And uh, um, so with a new team, they deemed that it was better for me to um, to get that uh, certification first. Um, we had a weekend meteorologist, a certified meteorologist at the time, and they felt that uh, swapping us uh, in other words, putting me back on the weekends and putting him in the evening position, was the right thing to do, um, you know, uh, because, you know, the reality of the situation was that he had his degree, he had the seal, 
he had everything that he needed and I did not yet. So uh, that change was made um, in, I think back in 14. Um, and um, <clears throat> that's when I learned that not just in this industry, but in life, it's not about the things that happen to you. It's about your response to those things. Yeah, very true. And uh, it was, it, it was, um, it was, it was a, a major blow to me. It really was. It really was. But um, I, uh, I took a year off from um, pursuing that uh, <clears throat> certification because I didn't think I was in the headspace to do it. Um, but about a year later, I thought, no, you know what? I'm already doing this. I'm going to finish it. So I did. I went back, finished it. Um, I, uh, in the interim, um, carved a pretty good beat for myself, which is uh, science, weather-related, environmental-related, uh, nature, space, all that, all that sort of fun stuff. The stories I never got to do as a general assignments reporter. I created a, a beat for myself, doing those sorts of things when I wasn't doing weather on the weekends. And it was wonderful. Um, I got to meet people and do things that I never thought were possible in doing, in, in doing this. Um, I forged a relationship with the Air Force Research Lab, which helped me do experiments. In fact, um, I was able to launch my own um, franchise called You Asked For It, uh, because, you know, we're Channel 4, so it's You Asked For It, right? <clears throat> and my idea is, you know, the question in the room was, hey, right now people are getting their weather from their phones. So what do we do to see uh, that they continue to watch the local news to get their weather? And my thought was, well, since they have their phones in their hands anyway, why don't we ask them to record a question? Everyone, you know, Snap, Snapchat culture, everyone likes to put, put themselves on social media. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of camera shy people out there anymore. Um, ask a weather question and I will play that question on the air and I will do a cool experiment to explain the science and weather principle behind it. Um, it tested well. And so that is now one of the things that I have um, on my brand. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, that, that's, that's kind of the, the career journey there uh, from 16 or 17 years old um, asked to, uh, take on the summer job because you needed to earn money for tires and whatnot and, and getting involved in the religious TV station, um, all the way to, you know, taking some big chances on yourself, betting on yourself, which I love. I love that concept of placing a bet on yourself. Um, yeah. mostly because you can put, you can literally, you know, put your thumb on the scale and, and help yourself win that bet. You know, whereas if I bet on you, I have no control. If I bet on someone else, I have no control. But if I bet on myself, um, I may lose and I'll go down, you know, in a ball of fire, but I can also try to exert control over how that bet is going to turn out. And, uh, if I win, then it's a huge win. So I love that. Um, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, on the podcast is to, uh, just tell this story of just your amazing, journey because it always impressed me I took more of more of the traditional route um and, and uh you know majored in broadcast journalism for your degree and, and came right out at age 22 into a tv market and you you know when <laughs> when you were 23 you'd already been in the in tv uh as as a paid tv per you know tv uh professional yeah. for seven years um 
So uh, different routes, you know, for different, different people, but um, always loved your story. And it's, uh, it's an evolving one that is, that is not over. So you're, you're uh, partway through and we'll see where the future yeah. Uh, yeah. takes you. So um, could you see your, I mean, one yeah. thing I need to ask you, cause we're going to wrap up here, but one thing I need to ask you is uh, it's, it's a tragedy to me that you're not, you know, telling, well, I guess you, you just said you're doing the nature reporting still. Is that accurate? You're doing the nature science and so you are still reporting? So, um, well, right now I am um, doing, uh, I'm the evening meteorologist um, so for no the five. Then. No reporting, no. Um, uh, we, uh, uh, our, our other meteorologist got a great job in, um, our evening meteorologist got a great job in Phoenix. So he jumped and he had been doing a Monday through Friday and um, a great guy, just a, just high quality guy. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he jumped, you know, he's in a big, you know, he's in Phoenix. So that's a big market. And so um, I am now um, um, working the evening shows uh, Monday through Friday, but I'm not reporting right now. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's something you're ever willing to do again, um, I know you said at one point you kind of started to kind of despise that, that, that grind and it definitely is a grind, but, um, you know, I think the, the world is a better place with your storytelling and, and reporting. So, um, but you well, know, I, trying we, to be. no, I mean it. Um, but as we get older, you know, uh, definitely anchoring and, and other things, you know, can become a little bit attractive. So I, I totally hear you on that. Um, and by the way, is that story that you did, the, the first two stories that you did about the, the family, uh, what was it called? Not a parade, but like the, the journey. What do you call that? A pr the procession. You know, oh, yeah, the funeral procession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was, was that, uh, are those online somewhere? Do those live online? Could I, could I watch those or no? I don't think we had the capability back then. Um, I would have to go digging in either beta tapes or uh, VHS to see if I could find that. Yeah. Well, someday, some, yeah. someday you should, you should take, uh, take five hours and do that. Um, cause I think at some point it'd be cool to, to show that to family members or just interested parties, uh, like me, you know, just, just your very first story and, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Know, which, which ended up being an award winner. Yeah, well, you know, even then it was probably very rough, you know, I'd probably be cringing to watch nowadays to, to watch it um but uh yeah no i mean <clears throat> i i'd be happy to do something like that you know i don't know i mean boy you, you know how it is i feel like it took me years to sort of um i feel like it took me years to find my voice as a reporter if that makes sense oh yeah yeah um well it literally you know, took it, me about a year because i remember jose telling me dude dog you got to fix your voice sounds like what and my voice did not sound the way it sounds now really um and and he was just like yeah he's like dog dog you got to fix your voice um you know, it's too sing-songy it's you sound like you sound like someone who's trying to be a reporter you don't sound like yeah a yeah and you know and he was absolutely right um but i just didn't well, it's a common thing it's a very common thing you know yeah yeah but you know and then he got me right and and from then on i mean now people literally pay me to do my quote reporter voice and it's also like a party trick so it's uh <laughs> come a long way because it was really okay. bad back then well you know we all we all were bad back then it doesn't matter who you were you know yeah. we we were all um um starting on this journey together 
Um, and, you know, I think it's significant. I mean, it's been how many years since we've worked together a decade? Yeah. And even though we don't talk on the phone every day, um, we still keep up, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, I do with those who are, um, you know, I just talked to Liz Adiola the other day. Um, I, I messaged her as I was listening to your podcast with her and, and congratulated her, her success. And it's just really cool to see how, uh, how people have evolved and changed uh, over the years, you know, especially in this industry. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love catching up with people and checking in on their uh, journey and, and it, 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 everyone has a different pathway. And that's one of the, the beauty of, you know, beauties of, um, this opportunity to do this podcast is it, it, if nothing else, it allows me just to catch up with friends. It's a good excuse to do that. So even if, uh, these episodes get zero listeners, that's fine with me because it's, it's just a passion project to, uh, follow up with people's journeys and everyone has a story to tell, you know, and, um, there's yeah. some great, great lessons to be learned, even, you know, just, just talking to everybody. So, um, and actually anybody who's listening and if anybody, here's like a weird free plug for a company that I do not get paid by, or I don't even know who, who owns it. But, um, if anyone is trying to convert videos, um, like DVDs or, um, VHS tapes and just get them online quickly, the best way to do it that I've found and, and shout out to my cousin, Matt, who told me about this, but there's a, uh, a product online called El Gato, which, you know, if you, if you're a Spanish speaker, just means the cat in Spanish, but, um, El Gato is a, a product that you can buy on Amazon, I think, or eBay. I got, I think I got mine on eBay cause it was cheaper, maybe Amazon, but, um, I think it, it I think it's like $50. It might be $75, but it's awesome. And you just plug it right from your, uh, your TV to your computer you do have to have like a, you know, like a VHS player or a DVD player also hooked up to your TV, which I fortunately have, uh, I feel like I'm 90 years old, but I do have a, a VHS DVD combo player. So you have that, the DVD, you know, VHS combo, you plug that into your TV and then you just go TV right to laptop. So I have it right to my MacBook and I can convert any video, um, you know, basically straight to YouTube if I want, or, you know, straight to an MP4. And it's awesome. It's very yeah. fast. It's like real time. It, it's, uh, it took me a while to figure out how to do it in color. I was missing something, but, um, it's in color, it's color TV. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, you can even take stuff that's like, it's been really fun actually, because I have these like old VHS tapes I would rec record of like football games back in the late nineties or like TV <laughs> shows. And you see the commercials from back then. And it's, it's just like hilarious, like, you know, just watching the old ballpark hot dog commercials with Michael Jordan or like even our local TV promos. I have some of those I, I realized on VHS by accident. Um, oh, man. So it's just fun. And, and you can put anything you want, you know, up, up on YouTube and, um, you know, even even old, uh, you know, so it's just it's just fun. But this, this tool makes it really, really easy to do. So well, I have it. I love it. Yeah, I, I got it uh, about a year ago. Oh, you have and, one. Uh, I do. I do. I have one and it oh. is amazing. Yeah, man. Because you know, that camcorder I was telling you about when I was a kid. Yeah. So like I found all those old tapes and now I'm able to like see literally where everything started for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and even to the point that I ran across a VHS tape where it starts with this news open and it says, you're watching Super 7 News at 10. <laughs> and then it starts with this anchor. I believe it was Pamela Ham, 
and it's CBS 7 before we called it CBS 7. It was KLSA TV. And it said, um, I forgot that I'd done this. This video of this grass fire has been sent to us by NewsHound amateur photographer Edward Garcia, who gave us this video. Wow. Eddie gets a NewsHound t-shirt. Thank you for sending your video. Wow. And so that was my first time on KOSA, and I still have the NewsHound t-shirt. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, very cool. Um, yeah. What a throwback. Yeah. So, uh, Elgato is a great product that is very fun, um, and very helpful. So, uh, highly, highly recommended to, uh, everybody out there who might be listening and need to con So when you're converting old, like mini DV tapes or something like that, do you, uh, do you, do you have to have a camera that, that cooperates with them? And then you plug the Elgato into that camera. Is that how it works? Yeah, just whatever player. Um, I had to find a VHS player. Um, and I suppose if I wanted to um, convert my, like, beta tapes and all that, I'd have to find, like, a beta player, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be tough, actually. But, um, yeah, so, anyway, um, well, Eddie, uh, we're going to skip the rapid-fire questions today because we've this is the longest episode of the podcast. That oh, man, please. Please edit me down. I went no, too no, long. Uh, I'm so sorry, bro. No, oh there's some God. good there's some good stuff in here, so we'll probably keep it in full. But um, we're gonna skip <laughs> the, the rapid fire. Um, this has been more of a, right. slow, a slow burn, if you will. So um, good good times uh, catching up with you, and um, we'll uh, it'll be interesting to follow your career as it continues and progresses. And I have a feeling uh, there's a lot more to come, uh, whether it's in New Mexico or elsewhere eventually. But uh, I know either way you'll you'll do a great job and be an asset uh to uh KOB and 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 if if that ever changes you know somebody else. So uh thanks for taking oh. the time out and uh hey one last thing if people want to find you online or reach out to you uh where's the best place to find you and uh what are your handles? Uh Facebook page I got Eddie Garcia uh TV. And uh Twitter it's at Eddie Garcia KOB. Eddie Garcia TV is Facebook and Twitter is what? At Eddie Garcia KOB. Okay. And then your cell phone number. Just kidding. Um, all right. Um, very good. Um, very good stuff and uh, quite a journey. You've, you've accomplished a lot um, in, in an unorthodox way, which I, I really respect. So, um, well, okay. Well, Eddie, thanks for. Uh, cool. What's that? The respect is mutual, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on Reporter and uh, keep in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.